Have you ever been inspired to carry out some mission and there was nothing that you were ever going to allow to stand in your way? That's certainly the spirit that a man, a Japanese man named Yasushi Takahashi had in mind when it came to proposing to his girlfriend. He wanted to come up with some very special way, something very memorable, and he didn't, he didn't rent a billboard and he didn't have some flash mob arranged. What he did is he took his GPS tracker and he drove all over Japan 4,500 miles in order to spell out his marriage proposal, and this is what it looked like. Marry me. Yep, even with, uh, even with the heart on the, on the island there in the end of Hokkaido. Hokkaido is the name of that. And uh, so you might say, well, how, how long does it take to do that sort of thing? And it took him, he had to quit his job, and it took him six months in order to drive around and get it just right. Six months. And he came back home and he uploaded it all to Google Earth and he showed it to his, his girlfriend and said, so, will you marry me? And she said, through tears, are you kidding? You don't have a job and you've been gone for six months. <laughs> Why would I want to marry you? <laughs> no, that's not what she said. She was actually very moved by the whole thing and she agreed to marry him which is a very sweet story. In fact, I find it to be a very inspiring story. So inspiring, in fact, that I decided to do it myself. And so I set out across the United States and uh, spoke and wrote what meant a lot to me. And uh, there you can see it right there, even with a heart over Pennsylvania. That, that's, that's where my heart is, I just wanted you to know. Now, now, Mr. Takahashi certainly had, had a mission that he was on, and he accomplished that mission, and that's really awesome, but today we're going to see somebody else on a mission, a mission that's even more significant than, than Mr. Takahashi, and, and we are going to see that in the person of Jesus. It's what we see when we come to the passage we're going to be looking at today. And that passage is Mark chapter 1. Please go ahead and turn there. Mark chapter 1 and uh, beginning in verse 14. Open up your scripture journal. Open up your Bible. There is also an outline in your pathway notes. While you're doing that, welcome to those who are live and present in the room here. For those who are live and not present online and uh, perhaps on our moon campus or in the classic venue, wherever you are taking this in. We're excited to be together as we dig again into the Gospel of Mark. And what we're going to see today is Jesus on mission. Jesus on mission. Now as we look in on Jesus filling out or fulfilling the mission that he came to accomplish, it dovetails beautifully with where we are today because it's not just we're gonna, we're gonna walk in, we're gonna open up, we're gonna look at the scriptures, we're gonna say, well, that's good for Jesus. Because everything that he has to say here, there is some response that is required of those who are his followers. And we're gonna take a look at that. And if we can marry together what we see about the response of his followers supposed to be with what we learn about what his mission is, this is going to be a win all the way around for us. And our lives can be changed in these moments together today. So there are a few different things that we're going to take a look at here with one another. The first step that we see Jesus take in our passage to live out his mission is to proclaim the message. 
is to proclaim the message. Now, just to set the stage, last week we started by seeing Jesus being baptized. We saw that the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. We saw him go out into the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan there. We saw that he overcame that temptation. And then in the very next verse, after that, we read this. Look at it, verse 14. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You might be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. John was arrested? I mean, it, no, there's nothing that's been said that sets us up for that at all. But all of a sudden, bang, there, there we are. It's very abrupt. It's kind of out of place. It would be like me just coming out here today and saying, well, after I won the Masters at Augusta, and going on, you know, like with this and with that. And it's like, whoa, whoa, where'd that go? You didn't even win the pathway golf outing. What are you talking about? See, it would be very abrupt and seem very out of place and it'd be wrong in my case, but it's very abrupt in John's case also, but it's not out of place. It is true. It is actually what would happen. Now, what's going on here is that there's actually a gap. There's a pretty substantial gap actually time-wise between verse 13 and verse 14. All right, you might put some little arrow in there or something. There's a big, maybe as much as a year elapses between verses 13 and 14. Now you might say, oh, well, John, he's our succinct gospel writer, so, so he just gets right to the point and he skips some stuff. No, that's not what this is. You might say, well, he skips stuff. Well, let me just go to Matthew and Luke and let me read what actually happened there. Sometimes this has been called the year of obscurity. But you can't find it in Matthew and in Luke. If you want to find what was going on during that time, you have to go to John. The end of John chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 and most of chapter 4 in order to see what was going on during that time. You might insert right in there before verse 14, look at John 1, 2, 3, 4 to find out what was happening in that time frame. And it's there that you'll read about Jesus turning the water into wine and Jesus overturning the tables of the money changers in the, in the temple and about him encountering Nicodemus and him meeting up with the woman at the well. You have to go there to find what's happening in between verses 13 and 14. But Mark begins with Jesus back in Galilee proclaiming the gospel saying this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The Jews in Jesus' day were waiting and watching for the kingdom of God to come and they were very anxious for it to come about. And it had been taking a long time for it to happen. In fact, it's been hundreds of years since it was prophesied, since the Old Testament prophets said that this time is coming when the kingdom of God will come upon you. And it says it's going to come through a descendant of David. And so Jesus shows up as a descendant of David and he's talking about the kingdom and all of a sudden people's ears are perking up and they're getting really excited. Unfortunately, most of them missed what the kingdom was supposed to be all about. Because of the context that they were living in, because of the culture around them, because of the political division and, and issues that were going on in their day, the turmoil all around them, they were looking for something to set that right. Something that was going to make their circumstance better. And so they were watching for a Messiah, yeah, absolutely, but one who would come and be a savior in a, in a military, nationalistic sense. And as a result, they missed what Jesus came to do because he didn't come to bring a military kingdom. He came to initiate a spiritual kingdom connected to God, saying that this is what I have come for. And Jesus inaugurates that kingdom 
And we have the opportunity to enter in all the way until when it ultimately culminates, which is going to be in the end times, when Jesus comes again, when Jesus establishes his eternal reign, his eternal kingdom. But we have the opportunity to enter into that, and when we give our lives and our, and our, and our hopes and our dreams and, and give ourselves over to God, when we put our faith and our trust in him, we become citizens of that kingdom. But many of these people are missing that in Jesus' day because they're looking for the wrong thing. And so even though it's right there under their nose, they don't see it. They don't see it. And so they don't participate in it either. That's what's going on. So in verse 15, he gives the requirements for taking part in the kingdom. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. This is the response that we're highlighting to Jesus proclaiming the message, and that is to repent and believe. All right, there's some different responses we're gonna see throughout here. The first of those to this first section is to repent and believe. To repent means to turn away from the course that you have been traveling. It means to turn your back on that which is wrong and move in a direction and to turn your back completely and totally on that and never turn back to it at all, just to keep going in the right direction, to repent and move forward. But that can be very difficult to do. In one cartoon, there were a couple of couples in a living room and they were having a Bible study and it was on repentance and, and it was about dying to things and moving on to things that are better and one of the women pipes up and she says, well, I've never died to sin, but I did feel a little bit faint once. And that's kind of sometimes how we approach this. You know, I felt a little something there, but I, I just never really entered in fully and, and completely. That's not what Jesus has in mind here at all. To repent means to completely give up the attitude or the behavior that has you out of step with God's will. That's the point that Mark is trying to bring about and help us to understand that this is fully and completely turning from one direction to another. Rome was a melting pot of people and cultures and religions and, and deviant behavior and all of that was swirling around and people were sort of getting sucked up into things that they shouldn't have been engaged in. And Mark is saying that Jesus said, we need to repent, and we need to turn in the right direction. That's what he's calling us to, and he offered a way out, and it begins with repentance, which interestingly enough is exactly the same message that John the Baptist had for his ministry as he prepares the way for Jesus. He's saying, repent. Jesus comes on the scene, and his message is one of repent. Now, repentance is absolutely vital, but it can't stop there because once we forsake that which we need to turn from, we need to turn towards something. You can't just live in that vacuum or the thing that you've been repenting of is just gonna flood its way back in. You need to replace it. And so he says what to do with that. He says repent and believe the gospel. That's the flip side. Turn your life from sin and to him. Jesus' message was a welcome one among many of those Jews who had been trapped in legalism, the legalism of the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders of the day. They were ones who studied the Old Testament law and they, and they knew it inside and out and so they would argue about it and what exactly that meant and what it required of you and, and they came up with all of these legalistic things and extra rules and extra regulations that you needed to follow and it turned a lot of people in a, in a very difficult direction away from the law, away from God because they essentially were turning following after God into a burden instead of a blessing. 
And this can be something that we have to deal with also. You might have come up through a a, a series or through a church or through a family, something that was also very legalistic in nature and it turned you off. And you didn't want anything to do with God, but really what you didn't want to do with is, is this legalism that made following God more of a burden instead of the blessing that it is intended to be. And it may very well be that you're, you're just starting now to maybe dip your toe back into spiritual things because you've been hurt for a long time. And I get it, and I understand it. And you need to understand that if you have a problem with legalism, you're right there with Jesus because he did too. But Jesus cuts through all of the red tape of that legalism and he says, here's what you need to do. Repent and believe. That's the response, to repent and believe. Mark tells us that one step of Jesus' mission was to proclaim the message. That's where Jesus starts out here. Another was to call the messengers to call the messengers. Jesus never intended to accomplish this mission all by himself. And so he announces, here's what I'm here to do, here's what you need to do now, let me get some people to help me with this. And in order to do that, he ends up by the Sea of Galilee. Now the Sea of Galilee was actually more like a a really big lake. Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long and it's about eight miles wide. It's got uh, cliffs and hills all around it and it's a, it's a beautiful place to be if you've ever been there. You've, you've seen it and you understand that. It's 150 feet deep at its deepest point. It is 700 feet below sea level, which makes it a very, very unique lake to be sure. And Jesus hung out in this region along the Sea of Galilee. In fact, as we make our way through the Gospel of Mark, again and again, we're going to come back to or see him back here on the Sea of Galilee. There's a thriving fishing ministry that took place there. So verse 16 says, passing along the Sea of Galilee, this is where Jesus is now, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Here we find Jesus calling the first two of what ultimately would become his 12 disciples. You've got Simon, who Jesus would change his name to Cephas or to Peter, which means rock, and his brother Andrew. These are the first two guys. Now, it looks like this is just all of a sudden Jesus shows up and it's like, uh, okay, you guys, follow me. It's not that. In John chapter one, we see that Peter and Andrew actually already have been acquainted with Jesus. In fact, it suggests to us that they already were followers of Jesus. But I don't wanna minimize the size of this ask. It is still a big ask to be sure. These two brothers are the first to follow, but they're not alone. Let's go on, verse 19. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Here again, two more brothers that Jesus wants to have join him in ministry. So what does he say to them? He calls them to follow. He says, follow me. It's also very bold for Jesus to ask these guys to give up their livelihood and to come and follow him. Just think of the size of the change that would be. I just have to stop, when I, whenever I read this, I stop and I ask myself, would I have done that? Would I have done that? Would I have given that? But Jesus isn't the least bit shy about calling them to do this. Not the least bit. He's not embarrassed about the size of what he's gonna, he doesn't apologize for the size of what he's asking them to do. 
Why not? Well, he doesn't because he knows that what he's calling them to is something that could never be surpassed in its meaning or its power or its purpose. This is the very best thing they could ever come to experience in their life. And so Jesus is like, yeah, come follow me. And that's the reason that they experienced it because they said yes when Jesus said follow. And I gotta tell you, when we say yes, when Jesus says follow, we can expect something also that is filled and meaningful and purposeful and powerful. But so often we're back, we stand back, it's like, well, that's an awfully big ask. I can't do that. I've got this and I've got that and, and I, just, I just don't have the ability to do that, so I'm not going to. And we miss out on what he has in store when he calls us to follow. These guys just say yes and they enter into something that is absolutely life-changing and, and more so. It's pretty incredible. All four of these guys make the choice to go. Jesus' message to these guys then, according to verse 17, which we took a look at, says, I will make you become fishers of men. He says, I know you're fishers of fish. I know you know how to do that. I'm gonna teach you how to fish for men, to fish for souls, to participate in sharing the message of the gospel so that others might come to believe. And it leads us to the response that Jesus is looking for. The second of the responses here, which is to follow and fish, if you will. To follow and fish. This wasn't just an opportunity for these guys to find something new to do. A new challenge because my life has become stale. It's, it's not just that. This is an opportunity for them to spend time with Jesus. To learn from Jesus to experience transformation themselves and to see the world being transformed right before their eyes and to participate in it. That's what they're being called to do. I would hope that we would, when we have opportunity to jump in, to partner together with what God is calling us to do, that we would say yes, because there's just as much in front of us. In the case of these four fishermen, they bought in. <laughs> Hook, line, and sinker, you might say. We don't see them making any excuses. We don't see them trying to stall. They just go. And I want us to understand that there is an essential part of them going here that we, we must not miss. And it is this. In order to go, they had to leave something behind. They had to leave something pretty significant behind. And that's a characteristic of whenever we go and follow what God is calling us to. We need to understand that there is a cost. Now, oftentimes what that cost is is just giving up our sin because what we're exchanging is, is running after our sin to running after God. And when that happens, that's win-win all the way around because we exchange something which is harmful with that which is healthy. But sometimes... Sometimes what we're called to leave behind is something that's good or has been good. Maybe it's something that was great for us. But we have this tendency to hang on to things that once served us well. We have a tendency to hang on to things where, where at one time in our spiritual life that really produced something. But if we're honest, it's not producing much anymore. But we just kind of hang on to it maybe for the nostalgia of it or maybe because it's comfortable. But sometimes we even have to leave behind things that have been great in order to pursue something that's even better. We need to ask ourselves, are we holding ourselves back? Are we resisting? 
Do we say automatic no's to God? I can't do that. I've been in that job a long time. I can't do that. That's paying my bills. I don't even know exactly where I'd go find another job if I were to pick. I can't serve like that. That would require that I change this or I, I change that. And we say our own no before we give the opportunity to say yes and to follow after what God ultimately would be calling us to do. Now, it might be for you that the call to follow is one that for the very first time in your life is to say, you know what, I've been, I've been serving myself. I've been going after my own things. I've been doing my own thing. I've been interested in my own pursuits, and I've never chosen to follow God before. I mean, yeah, I was taken to church when I was a kid or, or I did this or that, but really, if you examine what's going on in your heart, you've never ultimately made the decision to lay down your own self, to surrender your own self for the purposes of God and to make him Lord and Savior. That might be what all of this is about for you. When God says follow, to repent and to believe, that might be the reason that you're here listening to this right now is because that's what God's calling you to do. And if it is, you need to respond. You need to talk to God. You need to acknowledge that you're ready to enter into that relationship. I can help you more with that later if you're, if you're interested in talking more about that. Or the call to follow for you might be, you know what, I have a relationship with God, but honestly, if you really evaluate, you'd say, you know what, but I've been drifting a bit. I've kind of drifted off into doing some of my own thing pursuing my own interests and, and sold out following like the disciples? No, that, that really isn't me. That's not where I am. It's not that you're antagonistic. It's not that, that you've gone way off the rails. You're just not following with the sort of intentionality that would put you in the middle of moving the needle when it comes to kingdom purposes, when it comes to serving God, when it comes to really being all in. You're kind of playing with religion. You're kind of playing with Jesus. You're not really following. And that might be why you're here, is so that the Spirit might prompt you in that regard to finally get serious about it. You know you need to. You know the guilt that you felt over where you kind of are, are stuck. It's like, I gotta do something different. God's calling you to follow also. Mark has helped us to see here that Jesus is clearly on mission. He proclaims the message. We see that he calls the messengers. And the last piece in our passage is to see Jesus do the ministry. To this point, what Mark has been sharing with us is essentially prelude, right? We saw that Jesus comes on the scene or after John the Baptist. We see that Jesus is baptized. We, we see that he has the Spirit descend on him. We see that he goes out into the wilderness. We saw last week that he overcame what was going on. We see that he has a message to proclaim and he calls the messengers and all of, it's all prelude. But now as it goes on, from this point forward, we're going to see that it's, it's more than prelude. Now he's starting to engage with people in the doing of the ministry. And he did, as he does so, we can see that there's some distinct characteristics of the ministry that he's doing. And the first of those is this, that he does his ministry with power. With power. The rest of what we're going to see in the passage we're looking at today is basically one very busy day of ministry. 
It's about a 24-hour period of time, not even that. And Jesus is pretty busy. It starts in verse 21. Look at it. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Capernaum was a city on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. You can see it there. It was the largest city in the area at that particular time. And Jesus takes and he uses it as his home base for ministry. He's going to be living here for quite some time and he'll go out and he'll do ministry here and there. And it's interesting to watch the way that he operates in that way. There are a number of miracles that he does here in Capernaum. But on this particular day, we find him in the synagogue and he's teaching. And it wasn't particularly unusual that a traveling rabbi or traveling teacher would go and he would speak in the synagogue. But in this particular occasion, he encounters something that's very different there, something that would have been highly unusual. And that is that he encounters this demon. Now, a demon is not something that you would expect to be there in a place that is supposed to be a holy place, but here he is. And the truth is, there are other times when you sometimes see things that don't seem to belong in church or in a, in a holy place, yet they're there. When I think about that, my, my mind goes to a place I've read about and seen before. It's called the Karnimata, and this is it. It is a temple in India. And it's been given a, a nickname that people call it by. And that nickname is they call it the Rat Temple. The Rat Temple. And the reason is because inside there are an estimated 20,000 rats that are running around inside the temple. 20,000. Now, it's not because there's been some sort of infestation. They're welcomed there. In fact, they are fed there. They're fed there, and they are venerated there as being thought to be the children of Karnimata. And, and you might be interested to know, if you would like, you can go and visit. In fact, it's a pretty popular destination for people to go and visit the Rat Temple. But if you're going to go, let me just give you a couple of rules that you need to abide by. If you go into the Rat Temple, you need to take off your shoes. <laughs> you do. It's a rule. You need to take off your shoes. You have to go barefoot when you're in the rat temple. And uh, if you're, when you're walking around and you're kind of shuffling around trying to avoid stuff, uh, you, yeah, you should know that it's actually considered to be good luck if rats run over your feet. To which I say, uh-uh, <laughs> no thank you, not interested in that at all. But you do need to be careful where you step because if you actually accidentally step on and kill one of Karnimata's 
children, rats. You need to replace it with a solid gold rat. So be careful when you go, but that's one possibility for you to go and do if you would be interested. Now, that's something that would seem a bit out of place, right? In a holy place, but it's right there in that temple and it's a very popular place to go and visit, as you can see the line. It would be a bit out of place, just as it seems like this this demon being there in the synagogue is also very much out of place. But it's no surprise that Mark has taken and told us about this and that he actually pulls it all the way into the very front of the gospel because he wants us to understand right from the start that this is a God, that this Jesus has power and authority. He wants to be sure that we don't, that nobody misses that fact. Jesus demonstrated his authority over demons, this this demon right here in a couple of different ways. One, he tells them to be quiet He was going on and on about Jesus and about Jesus' name and who Jesus is. And it's like, well, he's testifying about Jesus. Actually, in those days, it was believed that if you knew somebody's name and you used it, that you had power and authority over that person. And so he's trying to get the upper hand on Jesus. Of course, it's it's not going to work. Tells him to be quiet. And he also then casts out this demon. Forces them to come up. And the people are amazed by this. They even say, even the demons obey him. Demonstrating Jesus' power. That wasn't the only way we see him here, though. The next stop in this ministry day is filled with uh, going to Peter's house. Look at verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. Right from the start, Mark is expanding his reader's understanding of who Jesus is and the power that's at his disposal. We already saw he has power over demons. Here we see he also has power over sickness. It doesn't look like Jesus even spoke a word. He just shows up and he wills something to happen and here she gets up. There's no doubt that Jesus is a ministry. He's carrying on a ministry with power, but that's not all. He also has a ministry that is characterized with popularity with popularity. So look at this, scene shifts. Now we're outside of Peter's house. Mark tells us about it in verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Everybody wanted to get in on this. That makes sense, right? This is, the, this is the happening thing. We want to be there. We want to see it. We want to take part. Kind of reminds me of, remember when Taylor Swift announced that concert and her tickets were going on sale and it basically broke Ticketmaster? It's not exactly the same thing, but it's kind of the same thing, right? Because everybody wanted to be a part of it and that's what's going on here. Only it doesn't break Jesus. Verse 34 And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. It's true that a day is coming when the ministry of Jesus would not be all that popular with a lot of people. But this day is not that day. He's as popular as you could possibly imagine at this moment The people had had told what they heard and what they saw, and now everybody else wants to participate in it. So here they come in droves to take part. It would have been quite a scene if you'd have been there to see the different people on stretchers 
and those who are convulsing with, with demons and the lame and those who couldn't see or hear, they're, they're all there. It's quite a, an eclectic group of people and Jesus shows compassion on them and he heals them and he casts out demons. There's no doubt that Jesus ministered with power. He ministered with popularity. And there's one more thing that is clear that he ministers with here as well, and that is with purpose. This is really important. These 24 hours of nonstop ministry still aren't quite over. The, the night has kind of gone by, but it's before sunrise, and we find Jesus engaged here one more time, more to the story. Verse 35 begins, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is very telling. First of all, Jesus knew that he needed to head off before the sun ever got up. He needed to head off and have time together to pray to his father. Look, if there's anybody at all who it seems probably doesn't need to spend that time in prayer, it's the guy who just cast out demons and just healed the sick. Apparently, there's a power this guy already has but he knows that things are going to heat up, that there's going to be additional intensity to his ministry, and he needs to prepare himself for that just as, just as he took the Spirit of God on him to anoint him as he goes out into the wilderness to prepare him for that. Here, the same thing is going on. He knows he needs to be prepared for the work that he is going to do. The disciples, for their part, they don't think that Jesus is making the right choice, and so they come out to him. They find him somehow out where he is praying, and they give him this mild rebuke. What do they say to him? Everyone is looking for you. What are you doing out here? Why are you wasting your time praying? Everybody's looking for you. And you can just imagine, all of the news continued to spread overnight, and probably before the sun was ever up, there's a long line of people who want to meet with Jesus. You can just imagine that, can't you? Certainly so. And so they give him this mild Rebuke, and Jesus says, we're not going back. We're not gonna go back and heal all those people. Yes, Jesus could have made it all about himself. He could have even increased the following that much more. Have the people love him that much more. He says, no, 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 we're not going back. We're going on because I need to go and preach in some other places. There's no doubt that Jesus knew what his mission was and he knew all about his purpose. So he prays that he would be able to fulfill that in the short term, in the long term, and he gives us some guidance for how we're to respond to all of this as well. How do we respond to him fulfilling his purpose? Well, the last of our responses is this, to pray and partner to pray and partner. If prayer is such an essential for Jesus, who already has an eternal connection with the Father, it just makes me wonder who I think I am when sometimes I cavalierly walk into circumstances thinking I can just take care of this on my own. 
and where we walk into situations where we don't have the filling of God's Spirit, we don't have the time spent in prayer to prepare us and our own hearts for the work that needs to be done in this circumstance or in this setting. You're not living out God's best for you. You're not living out God's best for your family or for your job or for your ministry if you're not engaged in prayer as Jesus is. Jesus needs it. And we neglect it. Now, if you're one who's not a very great prayer, if that's something that you wrestle with and struggle with, I wonder if you'd be willing to try a little experiment, take a little challenge, that over the next 30 days, you just commit to every day for whatever period of time you choose to try some CPR prayer. Just a little acronym I came up with. CPR prayer. And yes, it has everything to do with the heart, our spiritual heart. So what are the components that I would invite you into for 30 days, however long you choose to to spend, that's up to you. These are the components. The C, confess. You would start by confessing, by admitting, Lord, these are the things that have been going on. These are the things that have been keeping me from you. And get that slate clean and and confess those sins and, and be prepared to enter in to meeting with God. Next is P, that's to praise. That you would spend some time just lifting God up, giving him praise and giving him adoration for who he is, for what he's done in your life, for the blessings that you've come to experience. Then R is request. That you would make your requests of God for his wisdom and for his leading in your life. That you would know where he's taking you, how he's calling you to follow and for the concerns that are on your heart and and on your life. See, for many of us, if and when we pray, it's not CPR prayer, and I just tried to boil this down to make it as simple as possible, but these are all vital steps. We're just our prayers, right? We pray our, just all requests when we choose to. But this is all important because it prepares our heart and it celebrates who God is and It offers those requests to God. Would you be willing to take that challenge the next 30 days? Because I believe if you will, you're going to see and experience something that's going to surprise you. And I probably won't be able to keep you from praying if you really go down this road and experience how God meets you in the midst of that. Our response here should be prayer and partner. Jesus clearly knew what he was called to do and above all, it was to tell people about the good news about God. And we've been given that same responsibility to go and make disciples. It's the call that is on our lives. God's invited us to partner in that work. It was so vital to him that he said, I'm not going to heal, go and heal all those needy people because there's something far more important that I need to go and do and that's to save souls. And I would pray that we might feel a similar urgency to that. There's something that needs to be left behind in order to pursue what God ultimately is calling us to. 
Friends, there's no doubt that Jesus here, he's on mission. We can see it as he taught about the kingdom and as he called followers and as he cast out demons and as he healed the sick. There's no doubt about that. It's impressive to read about. But it's not just here so that we would read about it. We see it so that we might respond to it. What's our response to be? We've seen it a few different times. Our response is to be this, to repent and believe, to follow and fish, to pray and to partner. I wonder, as we've made our way along through this, where here has your spirit been tweaked just a little bit? Where here have you felt a sense of conviction? And if you were to take and boil this all down and just just pick one area, one thing, where you can make progress, what would it be? Now, what I want to challenge you to is that there's kind of a prerequisite in all of these, and it comes right here. It's pray. We see how important prayer is to Jesus, and it needs to be us to us also because if we're just trying to do anything else that we feel called to apart from prayer, then we're essentially spinning our wheels, or we're certainly going to enter in without any supernatural empowerment. So that's a place to start. And you might say, you know what, Pastor, that's going to be enough. That's going to be enough for me just to focus on that. And if that's what you're saying, okay. All right, but give it everything, would you? If it's the only thing, give it everything. All in on that. But it may also be for you that as you've listened, it's like there's something else here. Maybe it's time for you to believe. Repent and believe for the very first time. Maybe it's time for you to reach out to that person who you care about, but you haven't taken that step. Maybe it's time to say, I've been kind of following on the sidelines. It's time to get in the... Whatever it would be for you, don't just walk out of here and say, all right, those are all the things that I would have as a response that I'm called to because of who Jesus is. This is what I need to do. Don't walk out and say, but I'm not going to do it. What is he calling you to? Whatever it is, take that step and follow. Heavenly Father, it's easy to get wrapped up in things that are sideways energy, that steal our attention from following completely and wholly after you. Lord, thank you for what we see in these first disciples who didn't know all of what they were getting into, but they did know this is Jesus. This is God's Son. And He's calling us to take part in the most meaningful, purposeful, powerful engagement in life there ever could be. And because of the, signif- or because of the access we have to it, we become dulled. It is no less meaningful or powerful or purposeful to go after what God is calling us to do.
to be on mission ourselves, to respond as he's inviting us to do so. Lord, I would pray that we wouldn't be able to just set that aside. We wouldn't be able to walk out and say, oh well, and just go on our merry way. But that we would be all about discovering what you're calling us to, what our appropriate response would be, and then entering in. Lord, convict us of the hardness of heart that allows us to look at the scriptures and not believe this is about me. This is what I'm being called to in this moment. So Lord, may we have tender hearts, not just to hear, but to respond and follow, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.